is the creator of the world who flung the stars into space. You can remain seated. I do want to take you to Genesis chapter 1 and 1, and we'll read. It's almost, as, uh, as I flung myself into this study, it's almost as if God anticipated that uh, two, all these years, all these thousands of years later, we would be living in a generation that has been called uh, the age of skepticism. When he said he chose to begin the entire word of God with this scripture in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Amen. And this is, I believe, the crux of of the apostolic faith. Now, we're coming from apologetics. Last week, pastor uh, defended the oneness of God. How many believe that Jesus is the mighty God in Christ? He's God manifest in the flesh. But before you can believe in Jesus, before you can believe even in the Bible, you must believe in God, uh, the creator of the world. And, and I've really been, I've been pouring myself into this in my own private study, even, even, before, uh, even before I knew that I would be teaching on apologetics tonight, because in, in my personal life, I've had two individuals who are very... Uh, close personal friends of mine. Uh, one of them I went to Bible college with. One of them uh, was a student of mine when I was a youth pastor in Mississippi. Both of them were uh, apostolics and have recently denounced their faith. And not only have they turned from the apostolic faith, but now they consider themselves to be atheists. And uh, it, it breaks my heart and uh, been in contact with them, praying with them, talking things through with them. And, uh, and one of them uh, came onto my radar recently because uh, I had written in my blog, for those of you that don't know what a blog is, it's just kind of like an online magazine. And uh, I write in there weekly. And I wrote a, a little short article that, uh, that I entitled, Is Faith Absurd? And... Uh, the reason that I really I wrote it with my general audience being Christians, I, did, I wasn't writing it in defense of faith for those that don't believe in faith. Uh, and, and I was writing it in response to an article. And so I'd like to read this article to you. And the reason I'd like to do that is because an individual uh, wrote a response to my article, and I'm going to read both of them to you. My article entitled, Is Faith Absurd?, begins like this. I always appreciate an article that causes my mind to strain just a little bit. And that's exactly what this article by Cole Neesmith. And I was responding to an article written by a gentleman named Neesmith. And he entitled his article, What You Believe is Absurd and Five Reasons It Should Be. I encourage you to read it for yourself. For those of you who would rather just Keep on reading. Let me summarize Neesmith's main thoughts. Neesmith basically reminds us that our Christian faith is absurd to those who are not believers. In other words, faith is not rational, scientific, or without questions. 1 Corinthians 2 and 14 immediately jumped into my mind while reading Neesmith's article. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Spiritual things always seem irrational when viewed through the prism of carnality. 
I'm fully aware of the temptation to try and boil spiritual things down into logic or sound reasoning. But when Jesus tells us to go and sin no more, for example, that sounds impossible without the spirit guiding our thinking. When you are terminally sick and God tells you to dip in the muddy Jordan River seven times, that sounds a little crazy to the natural mind. Faith, which is the foundation of the Christian life. How many believe that tonight? Faith is the foundation of the Christian life, is not rational. Hebrews chapter 11 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. To believe in something that you have never seen is absurd when you are looking in from the outside. Look at the third verse of Hebrews chapter 11. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So my belief that God spoke the world into existence and breathed the breath of life into mankind is not intended to be a scientific endeavor or fit neatly into a logical box. It is an act of faith. I would contend that much of what we label as science today is in reality a belief system that by no means is rational and by no means am i saying that everything about the christian faith is illogical morality only makes sense when you view it objectively many things about our world only make sense when we understand god's ultimate plan the value of life itself only makes sense when viewed through the lens of a divine creator even love is not logical without a belief in god I think there is a danger in trying to rationalize too much about God and faith. There is a freedom that can only be found when we embrace the reality that there are some things we will never understand until we meet the Lord. There is a peace that can only be found when we realize that faith is messy and absurd. Now, that was my article, and it was not intended to be a strong defense of the Christian faith. I actually wrote that article with the intention of helping believers, everyone said believers, fellow Christians, uh, to understand that when, when we're witnessing to a lost world, when, when we're witnessing to people who do not share our faith, that we need to be comfortable with the reality that it's going to seem strange to them. Because it does sound strange for someone who's never witnessed a miracle, for example. How many of you have ever witnessed a miracle of God in this building? Just wave your hand. Well, to someone who has never witnessed a divine miracle, it sounds crazy and absurd because they've never experienced the power of God. For someone who has never experienced the power of the Holy Ghost, for example, for someone who has never spoken in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance, that sounds strange and absurd from the outside looking in. And as Christians, we need to be comfortable with understanding that some of the things that we're used to, some of the things that are just a part of our daily life, you know, prayer is a part of my daily routine. Is prayer a part of your daily routine? To someone who does not know the Lord, for someone who does not have a relationship with God, for someone who has never felt the presence of God, prayer seems like an absurd and strange thing. And so we need to understand that and be patient. Everyone said patient. Patient with people who are struggling to come into faith 
and, and have an understanding of what it means to follow the Lord. And so that was the point of my article. By no means uh, was I trying to say that faith is totally illogical. Much of faith is logical. But uh, I had a, a, a response that came to my article. I'm not going to read it to you because the response that this young man wrote is longer than my article. It's about four pages long. I just took a little clip from it, and, uh, and I wanted to, to read it to you. I didn't realize when I first saw it that it was a young man who'd been in my youth group, uh, a very intelligent young man. And uh, in talking to him over the last few weeks, uh, I, I think I've come to the realization that he's, he's really not an atheist. Everyone know what an atheist is by definition, just someone who doesn't believe in God. Many people I found who claim to be atheists are actually agnostics who are bitter at God. In other words, they believe in God. They believe there probably is a God, but they're bitter at God for some reason. And many times they'll call themselves an atheist, but really they're just an agnostic in hiding. And so here's what this young man wrote underneath in the comments of my article. He said this. He said, my understanding of how the universe and humanity came into existence is born of mankind's scientific endeavor to determine the nature of our origins. It is not an act of faith because I do not choose to accept or reject anything properly labeled science because anything that requires faith without a demonstration of its truth is not science but speculation. In fact... It is only that which can be observed, measured, and tested that is considered science by its very definition. I do not place faith in the scientific discoveries such as the Big Bang Theory or the theory of evolution because it does not require faith. He's saying that the Big Bang and evolution doesn't require faith to understand in the same way, and then he compares it to mathematics. He says, I can know that one plus one equals two because... It's demonstrable. Faith is not a factor in my acceptance of the truth of evolution or the Big Bang Theory because it is demonstrably true. Each part can be verified as well as the verification processes themselves, end of quote. But here's the problem that I have with the logic, the supposed logic that comes into all of this because there is a problem here. It does take faith to believe in a world that came to be without an intelligent designer, i.e. God. Most of the science that deals with the origins of the world is nothing more than theory and speculation. It's not provable, observable, or duplicatable. If it was, scientists today would have already created another universe by using accelerated evolutionary processes. Believe me, if scientists could breathe the breath of life into mankind, they would have done it by now. If scientists could have created another multiverse, another universe, if they could have flung stars into space, you better believe they would have done it by now. But it's not provable. It's not demonstrable. And so we come to another question that many scientists have struggled with. And I know we're getting a little heavy tonight. And let me just pause and say the reason I'm doing this. I know that everyone under the sound of my voice, and I'm, I'm looking across at a Wednesday night crowd, I don't believe there is a single person in this room who doubts for one second 
that God created the world and that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, I, I don't doubt that anyone under the sound of my voice will disagree with anything that I'm saying. But I do know that you have loved ones that you hold dear who are struggling with these questions tonight. And you need to be ready to give an account of what you believe. You need to be equipped to have a conversation that will help people who are struggling to have faith in God. And we shouldn't run from those conversations. We shouldn't be intimidated by those conversations. If you believe that you have the truth, then you should be able to walk into any conversation with confidence, with your head held high, and you can stand firmly on the word of God. Amen? In my own life, I'm, I'm amazed at how many people are struggling with very basic questions of faith. And so we should care for these people. We, and we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't write these people off. Many people go through crises of faith. And as Christians, we should not give up on them. What would have happened if Jesus would have given up on Peter when he denied even knowing who he was? We should be the last people on this earth who give up on people who are struggling with faith and have difficult questions. As people who are children of God, we should love them back to the truth. We should, we should talk to them and reach out to them. Someone said praise the Lord on a Wednesday night. And so we need to, we need to be equipped with these things. And so... That's the reason. And also, I know, you know, last week when Pastor talked on apologetics, uh, we put it up on a new podcast site, and over 4,000 people have already downloaded that sermon. And we've had hundreds of comments flooded in that said, we're thirsty for, for conversations, for sermons, for teaching series that will help us to really understand the basic foundations of faith. How many know we need to stand on the basic foundations of our faith? And it all begins with a confidence that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen. And so scientists have been struggling with, with where did. Okay, let's say that you're a scientist today and, or you're just, a, uh, just an average individual who believes in evolution. You believe in the Big Bang Theory. Well, you have a problem because in the end, you, you have to figure out where did the very first single cell organism come from? If it all came from a little uh, amoeba somewhere out there, where, well, where did that amoeba come from? Where did that first particle, where did that first dust particle come from? It, 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 where did that come from? Because in the end, you need a creator even for that. You need something miraculous even for that to appear out of nothing. So long before you can even speculate about the ludicrous theory of the Big Bang, uh, anti-creation scientists have to answer the perplexing question of where did that first pesky, microscopic, single-celled organism come from? And by the way, it would take a minimum of 250 of those simple single-celled organisms to create even the simplest of life forms. Then you have to deal with the mathematic, mathematic improbability of the Big Bang Theory. You, you know, you've all probably seen and heard the illustration where uh, the, the Big Bang Theory is just as improbable as taking a deck of cards and, and throwing it out and it just be turning into a, a house of cards all by itself. And then you would have to do that 
over 4,000 times for there to be any kind of mathematic and probability uh, or probability for a big bang. And so that's, that's the, the, the absurdity of the idea that something could just appear out of nothing based on just a, a little microscopic uh, something that they don't even know where it comes from. And so in my opinion, and, and I'm the first to admit here that I'm biased. I'm biased towards the word of God. How many tonight could admit we're biased towards the word of God? I'm biased towards my faith in God. And I, I readily admit that. I openly admit that. I wish that some of our uh, atheist and agnostic friends would be as forthcoming as we are and admit that they're biased in the other direction. Because it is a worldview. It is a philosophy. In fact, much of the anti-God science out there really isn't science at all. It's a philosophy. It's an outlook on life. And, uh, and it's very dangerous, by the way. And do you know why so many young people are struggling with this? Because our public school systems and our university systems are all geared towards indoctrinating minds into believing that there was not a creator of the world. And so in my biased opinion... I believe that it takes more faith to believe in Darwin than it does the word of God. I really do. I believe it takes just as much faith. We might could say it that way. And so in the end, it goes back to the article that I wrote. It takes faith. Every worldview, any worldview that you have, whether you, you, you choose to believe in no God, that takes faith. Someone said faith. Whether you're a Muslim, that takes faith of some level. But the real question is, what are you putting your faith in? And pastor, I think I have enough to get through it here, but, but thank you. And that's actually not the right chord. Thank you, though. <laughs> I think it will. Thank you, though. <laughs> all right, so I'm going to take us to, and I know some of y'all think I'm going to go all night, but I'm not. I'm not going to be able to finish this in, in one one evening. I have 9% anyway. So I want us to look at the three main arguments for the existence of God. And uh, in today's secular culture, the Bible is increasingly considered to be a set of ancient documents filled with inconsistencies and erroneous science and plausible miracles and, and all of these things. And, and so many young people run from the Bible and then they reject God. But we have to instill a belief in God before we can instill a belief in the word of God. How many understand where I'm coming from tonight? And so let's look at these three. Number one, creation. Everyone said creation. Did we lose it? All right, we're not going to have a screen, but we'll, we've done it without screens in the past, haven't we? So we have the creation argument, and we also have, well, I'll tell you what. Let's just stick with the creation argument for tonight because that's all we're going to get through. Everyone said Creation. The creation argument provides reasoning for God based on the very existence of the universe. And that's what the video that we looked at tonight was about. And there are three parts to remember. And people state it in different ways, but in the end it comes down to this. Number one, the universe had a beginning. And uh, as we looked at in the video, even scientists can't deny that. Even, even atheistic scientists can't deny that the universe had a beginning. Number two, logic tells us that anything that had a beginning must have been caused by something else. Number three, therefore the universe was caused by something else. And we as Christians 
believe that it was caused by God. It's, it's really simple on the surface. It sounds like a simple philosophy, but it's very powerful, and it has far-reaching ramifications. So let me recap this very quickly. The scientific community has, although begrudgingly, they don't want to admit it, but they have to, they've agreed that the universe does have a beginning. And we know that anything with a beginning is caused by something else. That leads us to the conclusion that the universe has to have been caused by something else. And so then the big question comes in, what could that have been? A person can't just shrug their shoulders and say it could have been anything. Knowing what it would take to create our known universe greatly narrows down the cause that we're looking for. You know, I, I encourage somebody to go out. It was the psalmist that, that said the heavens declare the glory of God. I, I, encourage, I encourage some of you to go out every once in a while and just look up into the heavens because the heavens declare the glory of God. When you see the majesty of God's creation, it is singing glory to God in the highest. When, when the sun rises in the morning, it's declaring glory to God in the highest. When, when it sets in the evening, it's declaring glory to God in the highest. Every thunderstorm declares glory to God in the highest. Just just the fact that, that we have a universe that is dependable, just the fact that you can know that the seasons are going to come and go every year at the same time, it is declaring the glory and the majesty of a divine creator. And so I encourage somebody to step outside once in a while and look up into the heavens and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. Thank you, Jesus, for for putting breath in my body. Thank you, Jesus, for, for giving me a testimony of your greatness. That's what nature is. It's a testimony of the greatness of God. And so we know that, that God's creation testifies of him every day. And, and the world itself points to a divine creator. Let me read you this quote from Dr. William Lane Craig. He's a, a leading philosopher who, who champions... Uh, belief in God and God's words. And he says this about what it would take to create the universe. He said, a candidate for the cause of the universe would have to match the following profile. Personal. Everyone said personal. Able to choose and create. Uncaused. Beginningless. Changeless. Immaterial. Timeless. Spaceless enormously powerful, and enormously intelligent. Doesn't that sound like the God of the Bible to you? Doesn't that sound like Jehovah Jireh to you? Amen. It certainly did. But if everything needs a cause, what caused God? It's important to understand that the argument that we've looked at tonight, the creation argument, doesn't say everything needs a cause. It says everything that has a beginning needs a cause. In order for a cause to create a universe of space and time, that cause has to be outside of space and time. Someone said eternal. Whether you call that God or anything else, that cause cannot have a beginning itself. Something without a beginning doesn't require a cause. How many know he's Alpha and Omega? Amen. It has always existed. God is the original uncaused cause. And so the conclusion of this argument 
And I'm closing. Stand with me. The conclusion of this argument doesn't necessarily point to the God of the Bible. Other reasoning is necessary to get from the existence of God in what we've talked about tonight to the God of the Bible. But this is the first step. This is the starting point in a chain of evidence that ultimately leads to Jesus being our Lord and Savior. And so this is the starting point. This is the beginning point. Can I just, can I just jump to something and say this right now? This is, uh, this is a conversation I just had with a young man who has rejected, uh, who has rejected belief in God. And, and, uh, and I'm believing that it's just a temporary rejection. Amen. How many will help me believe that? And, and I just had a conversation where, where I was telling him, and when you cut past all the philosophy and all the science and all the logic, in the end, as apostolics, and, and this to me is one of the wonderful things about being an apostolic. I, I don't know how you could really have a good conversation about the existence of God and not be full of the Holy Ghost. Because to me, one of the greatest evidences of God in my life is the relationship that I have with God. The fact that I can lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And I can feel, hallelujah, the power of the Holy Ghost from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. That, my friend, is one of the most powerful evidences of the existence of a divine creator is when you step into an apostolic prayer meeting, when you step into an apostolic church service, and you see miracles, signs, and wonders. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name oh i wish somebody would begin to pray with people in the name of jesus you're gonna see demons start to flee you're gonna see diseases start to flee you're gonna see things begin to happen things that defy logic things that seem crazy things that seem absurd things that darling darwin could never account for because the word of god can change things in just an instant and the power of the Holy Ghost, my friend, is one of the most powerful evidences for the existence of a divine creator. Do you believe that tonight? Can we lift up our hands and can we thank God for his presence? Can we thank him that we have the Holy Ghost tonight? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we're thankful that we know you. We th we're thankful that we worship you in spirit and in truth, God. I Lord, I, I'm glad that I have more than just the truth, but I have the spirit tonight, God. I'm thankful that I have more than just righteousness, Lord, but that I have the spirit tonight, Lord. I'm thankful that I have more than just good sound reasoning and sound doctrine, but I am thankful for your spirit tonight, God, that ministers to the broken, that touches us when we're hurting, Lord, that moves upon us, God. We love you and we praise you and we worship you. Hallelujah. How many are thankful that you know God's name tonight? How many are thankful that you, you do more than just believe in God, but you believe in the name that is above every name? Amen. Amen. And let me just pause and say how great it is to see Bishop here tonight. Praise the Lord. He looks healthier than I do. He looks healthier than all of you do. And we're so thankful. We love you, Bishop. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Don't forget Sunday, 10 o'clock, Bible study.